Welcome to Village Church of Gurney podcast. This week, we continue on in this series, Christ and His Mission, a study of Luke. The name of the sermon is Christ in Breaking Kingdom, and Pastor David will be preaching from Luke 7, 18 through 35. Let's join Pastor David now. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, many of you know that name very well, a famous uh, British writer and theologian, famously known as the hand and mind behind uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, is famously quoted uh, for saying, I think I can get this right, might be a paraphrase, that if, if we find in ourselves a desire that this world cannot satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we're made for another world. That if we look inside and find ourselves, um, and I'm going to add to that category, not just a desire, but also uh, longings unfulfilled. If we look around us and find uh, brokenness not restored, uh, chaos not brought to order, uh, uh, disappointment not satisfied, uh, decay yet to be made whole, uh, violence yet to be brought to peace, wrongs yet to be made right. If we look around us and are confronted with the brokenness in the world inside of us, outside of us, I think C.S. Lewis is right. The most probable explanation, my friends, is that we're made for another world. That the brokenness that we experience in this life is another reminder, it's another pointer that, that the, the life that we are living, the, the, the kingdoms, lowercase k, kingdoms of this world, are not designed to fully and finally satisfy. We're made for another world. And the good news is that there is a king, and he does have a kingdom. And as we are going through the Gospel of Luke, these opening chapters, we are uh, peeling back these layers, like layers of an onion, on who Christ is and, and what his kingdom is like. And I think there's an important reminder as we go through these uh, chapters and verses over the weeks uh, to come. We have to remember that Christ's kingdom is, uh, is paradoxically, some of you know this phrase, now and not yet. It's already here, and it's not yet fully here. And we have to hold on to that, because if, if Christ's kingdom is only and all and exclusively something for the future... If it's reserved only for some future time and in no way at all here now in the present, there's a real possibility that you and I could give way to a, kind of just being passive or, or, or just um, idly waiting, idly watching and not active in what the Lord would have us to do in our lives and, and, and for this world. There's a real risk if it's only, only, only in the future, there's a tendency, there, there's, there's a risk that we could say sometimes in our hearts, you know what, well, I read the end of the book. It's all going to burn in the end, so I'm just going to grab the marshmallows and sit back and, Lord, just come quickly. If it's all or only in the present, flip side, if the kingdom of God, if the kingdom of Christ is completely, only, all, exclusively in the present, then very quickly, we're not going to become passive. We're going to become incredibly disillusioned. You might look around and say, well, if, if God's kingdom is fully here now, then I, man, I, I think we need to find a plan B. Because there has been enough brokenness in the last week, months, 
two years, five years, ten years over the course of your life as you look back over the course of history. And if God's kingdom is fully here now, we're going to be pretty disillusioned and discouraged. Passive if it's only in the future. Discouraged if it's only in the present. But that's not how God's kingdom works, does it? It's both. Profoundly and mysteriously and ironically, both now and not yet. And if it's unfolding in what Christ is doing, what God is doing through his people all throughout history, if his kingdom is unfolding, that gives us a sense of purpose. We want to put our oar in the water. We want to put our iron in the fire. Because God is working through us. Did you know that? God is working through you. That his call on your life and the ministry that you do, God is working through that. It gives you a profound sense of purpose in your life, not passivity. And if it's not fully and completely and finally going to be here until the future, that gives us hope. Gives us hope. Every pocket of, of, of evil, decay, brokenness, death, loss, Every time that comes up in our life, we know, we know you can go to the end of the story and you can know that it is a good ending, a victorious ending where the Lord wins. And that, my friends, is what's going to give you hope. Where else are you going to look for that kind of hope to handle the degree of brokenness and decay that you have seen in your lifetime and we have seen in our lifetimes? His kingdom is now and not yet, already and not yet. And if that's the nature of Christ's kingdom, if that's the nature of God's kingdom, then you have to make sure, and I'm speaking specifically so, not exclusively so, but specifically so, some of you might be here honestly still checking out Christianity. You're not, you're not quite sure yet, and that's fine. A part of the journey is dipping your toes in, learning what, what is this Jesus all about? What's the Bible about? You know, some of you might be saying, you know, I, I got a little bit dragged here by a Christian, mostly I think Christians are kind of weird, but I'm testing things out, and I'm just going to check things. That's okay. Welcome. <laughs> I'm speaking specifically to you, however. Don't miss the significance of Christ. If you're checking things out, don't miss the significance of who Jesus is. Don't miss the importance of the claims that he makes of himself. Don't miss what the Bible says about who Jesus Christ truly is. Uh, look at uh, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 18. I'm going to read a few verses, 18 to 23. It says that the disciples of John reported all these things to him, uh, speaking back of what Jesus, when he healed the centurion's servant, when he raises the widow's son, the disciples of John report all these things to him. And John, verse 19 calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we wait for another? And when the men had come they, to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we wait for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell. John, what you have seen and heard, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
Twice, the gospel writer uh, Luke records this question, are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we be looking? Should we be waiting? Should we be expecting another? Are you the Messiah? Are you uh, the one that all the Old Testament has been waiting for and, and, and anticipating? Are you the one, or should we wait for another train? Should we wait for another king? Should we wait for a, a different hope? Notice how Jesus uh, responds. He doesn't respond with words. He responds in action. That is, this question is uh, asked of him in verse 21. Look, it says that he responds by healing many people of their diseases, uh, plagues and evil spirits. On many who, who were blind, he bestowed sight. And then this list in verse 22, the blind see, lame walk, lepers cleanse, deaf hear, dead raised, poor, have good news preached to them. All of these things are in a way a fulfillment of what Jesus said he already was coming to do. If you jump back uh, real briefly to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, remember this moment? This is when Jesus opens the scroll, reads from Isaiah uh, 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 chapter 61, uh, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to pr proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all of these things, this list in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, all of these things are direct quotations or overt allusions uh, to, to, to the book of Isaiah. That the prophet Isaiah, many, many, many years prior, pointed forward and said, look for a Messiah who's going to do things like <laughs> give the blind sight, allow the lame to walk, so when they asked Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? In a way, as you see this story unfold, the answer makes itself clear, does it not? That in Jesus' actions, he, he declares who he is. He's, in Jesus' actions, he says, profoundly so, uh, with a resounding, yes, I am the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for and longing for. Do you know him? Do you know him? I think it raises an important question uh, for us. What are you waiting for? Or, or, or who are you waiting for? That in a way, as, as Jesus does these things and declares that he is the king, he is the Messiah, now we have an option before us. Now we have a choice before us. That if in Christ's coming kingdom, every time... He heals someone. It's a small glimpse of the curse of creation being undone. Every time he casts out a, a demon from someone, it's a small glimpse of Satan's kingdom crumbling. Every time he preaches good news to the poor, it's a small glimpse of the kingdoms of this world being upended. My friends, who are you waiting for? Who are you longing for? And whether you are very, if you'd consider yourself very religious or irreligious, all of us, you might not use this terminology, but all of us are looking to a Messiah. All of us have a utopia in our minds that we are longing for. All of us have an ending that we are anticipating. Let me ask you, who are you waiting for to get that ending? Who are you waiting for to bring you into that kingdom? Because we can look for a whole bunch of different kings to usher in the kingdoms that we have created in our mind Sometimes uh, we could look for uh, 
technology. We, we look around and we see, man, this world is broken. How are we going to fix it? Some will look to the king of technology. That if we just can finally tweak this thing, if we can just finally unlock this thing, then finally this utopia is something that we can usher in. Are you looking to that? Some of you might be looking to the, the kings and queens of this world. Some of you perhaps are just waiting for another election cycle. Maybe to undo something that is broken or to further the ball that has got some momentum. Is that, is that the king that you are waiting for and longing for and looking for? Is that the utopia that you are hoping to be ushered in? It's a Messiah, is it not? It's a king that you're longing for. It's a kingdom that you are hoping to bring into the present. Some of you might be looking just to the next life stage. That if I can just get out of this life stage and on to the next one, then my, I'll be one step closer into the kingdom of my design, the kingdom of my hopes, the kingdom of my dreams. We all know how that works. We get to that next life stage. And that kingdom has not yet fully come, has it? What, what are you looking for? Are you looking for uh, maybe a relationship or romance? That finally, if I can just have the right person in my life, then, all, then I'll have shalom, peace, wholeness. Are you looking to, uh, for an identity that you're trying to construct or form or cultivate? Do you, see what, what, do you see what our human hearts are doing? I mean, this is a short list of what, maybe three, four, five things I've just said. These are kingdoms that we are hoping to step into. And we're looking to kings to bring us into that. Do you see the option that is before you? Are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? That's a question that we all have to wrestle through. That we're all at a train stop, if you will, and when Jesus comes down the tracks, we have to ask the question, is he the one? Am I going to step onto this train? Is he the Messiah that's going to usher me into the kingdom? Is he the Messiah that's going to usher his kingdom into me? Or are you waiting for another? Don't miss the significance of who Christ is. There is no king like him. There is no better alternative than him. What other Messiah is going to come to die for you? What other Messiah uh, supplies the complete full answers of what our soul and our world and our life needs? There is no other. If I can plead with you pastorally, don't spend your life exhausting the search of false messiahs and false kings. You can save yourself time and heartache and brokenness. He's come. He's here. This is the one. This is the one that you've been waiting for and longing for. Maybe you don't even know it. That as you've been searching for other kings, as you've been waiting for other kingdoms, disillusioned time after time after time again, do you see that they're all pointing to this king? That he is the one that satisfies all of our soul desires. He is the only one who can usher in a new creation, paradise restored. He is the one that his gospel, when it takes root in the heart and life and soul of a person, the implications of that gospel transform the world. Lean on him. Trust in him. Don't miss the significance of who Christ is. Is, and that when we receive him, verse 23, we're blessed, blessed. Look at what Jesus says. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I thought that was interesting when I read that again. Why is the gospel offensive? Why is Christ, in a way, offensive? 
Because in a way, the gospel is claiming, Jesus is claiming, I am king and there is no other. Idols of our heart do not like that message. Idols don't die easily. They put up a fight as they come crumbling down that if Jesus is the one and only king, that is going to be offensive and, and troubling and disorienting to the idols of our heart. We don't go out of, way, out of our way to be offensive in the manner in which we share the gospel. Don't misunderstand me. But the message of the gospel, salvation is of the Lord, period. And our triune God is our, the only saving God. It's the only train that is coming that will usher us into the final kingdom. And those who jump on that train, those who come into Christ and let his kingdom come into you by his merciful grace in your life, they are blessed. Blessed. Don't miss the significance of Christ. And, 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 those of you who are in the kingdom, don't miss your significance. Don't miss the significance and value and meaning that God has placed on you, that he is profoundly so king, and as he's welcomed you into the kingdom, my friends, don't miss your significance. Check this out. Look at what Jesus says next, verse 24 and following. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So Jesus is talking about John now, and he says to the crowds, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, something ordinary, something they've seen every day, something that's weak. What then did you go out to see? Verse 25, a man dressed in uh, soft clothing, that being luxurious, uh, expensive, something self-indulged, something commonplace they'd seen before. Uh, verse 25, behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. He's talking about John, remember. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of woman, let me pause there. Those in the crowd would have looked to the left and the right and said, okay, that, that's, that's all of us. <laughs> uh, among those born of woman, everybody, none is greater than John. He's a big deal. <laughs> then look at what Jesus says. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What? What is Jesus saying? What is going on here? So when he's talking about uh, reeds in the wind, uh, what are you going out in the wilderness to see? Uh, someone dressed in soft clothing. Jesus is saying that there have been disciples who have been following John. John is pointing to the coming Messiah, the Messiah who is now there in the flesh, present, why, why would you make the arduous, difficult wilderness trek to listen to and to follow John and to point after, to come after the one to whom John points if he's common, ordinary, um, something that's, that's a reed in the wind, something that's weak and ordinary, something that's self-indulged? You wouldn't make the arduous trek to follow the one to whom John points if he was an everyday, ordinary person. But Jesus says he's a prophet and more than a prophet that none born of woman is greater than John. That's quite the thing to, for Jesus to say about someone, is it not? I mean, John's a big deal. Why? He's not greater by merit. He's greater by calling. It's not as if, well, hey, hold on. Jesus, are you kind of picking favorites here? I mean, John can kind of square his shoulders. Well, it's in the Bible. Jesus said, I'm the best. <laughs> 
He's not greater by merit. Jesus is not saying that somehow John has uh, uh, reached kind of this teacher's pet favorite. He's greater by calling. What does that mean? That in a way, John is the ultimate or penultimate prophet. That all of the Old Testament has been waiting for the Messiah. And John is the one that's going to say, not he's wait for his coming, but look at his coming. John is the one that rolls out the red carpet not to wait for the Messiah to walk on it, but just right before the Messiah walks on it. John holds the door open to the castle as the king walks through. That in a way, John is the hinge, the hinge upon which promise and fulfillment swing. All the Old Testament is pointing to it, and John is the one person who is given the ministry, the calling, the privilege of saying, guys, he's not coming, he's here. He's here. He's the first to say it. He's to usher it in. Do you see how important that ministry, that calling, that role is for God's redemptive purposes? It's a, John's a big deal. Then Jesus looks to the crowd and says, yet, you who are least in the kingdom, you are greater than John. Don't miss your significance in the eyes of the king what you do for God's kingdom and who you are to the king matters. You matter to the king. What you do for his kingdom matters. I remember this was uh, years ago now when I was um, a student at Moody Bible Institute, my undergraduate training and preparing for pastoral ministry. Uh, one of the times I was at the church I uh, grew up in, the church of my uh, childhood, uh, there was a young girl and her mom, who came up to me after one of the services in the lobby, and they, they came up, and the young girl, uh, kind of, you know, a little sheepish, a little shy, had her mom right with her, and she had something in her hand. She, her, her little hand was clenched around something, and she extended it to me as if she's going to give me something. So I put my hand out, and into my hand, uh, she drops in her kind of grubby little fist, uh, nine pennies. And... Uh, and I, thank you so much, I said. And I, I, I looked to her mom, kind of, you know, help me out here. What's, what is happening? <laughs> What's going on in this moment? And uh, mom starts to help explain that this little girl, if, if memory serves me correctly, somewhere around seven years old, had just come from a Sunday school where in that class they were learning about um, partnership in ministry. They were learning about uh, investing your resources into the kingdom. They were learning about uh, tithes and offerings. They were learning about uh, how it takes everybody to make the work of ministry happen, and those financial contributions help further the ball of ministry. And you know what was happening in the heart of this little girl, seven years old, that she had remembered somewhere from some other conversation that, that at that time I was a college student training for and preparing for ministry. And the Spirit moved in her little heart. And she thought, I can imagine, you know, I don't have much, but I've got nine pennies. I want to give that for the sake of the kingdom. So she came up to me and from her grubby little hand dropped those nine pennies. I still have those nine pennies. I bet she thought, well, you're supposed to use those. So I gave them to you. I still have those nine pennies. Place on the heart by the Spirit into this little girl who said, I want to help further the ball of ministry. And this is what I can contribute. Would she be least in the kingdom? 
maybe? Would she be among those that the eyes of the king would look at her and her contribution? The eyes of us would look at her and her contribution? I mean, it's, it's not much. And, and don't tell her, but I kept them. I didn't use them. Um, might she be the least? Perhaps. But look at what God thinks of her. <laughs> Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Do you know that? Do you, do you realize that what you do for the kingdom, every moment that you kind of feel, you know what, this is, this is all I have. I don't have much. This is what I can contribute. I don't have much. Do you see what God thinks of you? That John, the big deal that he was, the big deal that he is, born, those born of women, none is greater than John. Jesus looks to the crowd. He looks to you and says, yet you who are least in the kingdom are even greater than he. See the inverting grace of the gospel of God's kingdom. And you might think, we could go through the list, right? You might think, well, hey, listen, I, I'm no Moses, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to lead a small group, and, and there's victories and there's challenges, and, and, and leadership is hard. Can I encourage you? Chin up, chin up. What you do for God's kingdom is important. He sees that as significant. You might say, I don't have much. I don't have much resources. I don't have much time. I don't have the energy I used to have. But I pray and I contribute what I can. Chin up, dear brother and sister. You're important to the king. What you do matters to the kingdom. Some of you might say, well, hey, listen, I'm, 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 no, I'm no William Wilberforce, but I do try to pray for my clients. I do try to pray for my students. I do try to act in integrity and self-sacrifice toward those I serve through my vocation and my work. Chin up. Chin up. You matter to the king. What you do matters to his kingdom. Some of you might say, listen, I'm so exhausted. I'm so exhausted by work and life. My great achievement for the kingdom is just getting to church while having yelled at my family less than last Sunday. Chin up. <laughs> that matters to the king. It matters to his kingdom. Your small contribution, what you might think, oh man, I don't, I don't I, I'm not like these giants of the faith. I'm not like the Adoniram Judsons that, that leave the shores of the United States and spend their life on the mission field and, and die there and the ripple effect for, for all of, I, I'm not like those people. <laughs> Jesus says, you least of the kingdom, you're greater than John because God continues to work through the small contributions that we give, that which feels like we're doing nothing. We're just, uh, struggling. I'm just trying to do, uh, 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 I'm just trying to read the Bible to my kids when they're falling asleep. And now we're talking about dinosaurs and trains. Chin up. Chin up. What you do for the kingdom matters, and you matter to the king. Don't miss your significance. Do you see this kingdom that you've been welcomed into? Do you see who you are in the eyes of the king? Don't miss his significance. That's important. Don't miss your significance. It's encouraging. And thirdly, don't miss his message. Don't miss the message. If Jesus is the train, the message is the ticket onto that train. You cannot miss the message of this kingdom. It's too important. Look at, look at what Jesus says. It goes on to say, I should say, in verse 29 and following. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God 
just. That means that it rang true. It, it, it made sense that with the message of God and what he was saying, doing, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now remember, that's the baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. We saw that earlier in the Gospel of Luke. But, verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And we see these two groups, the tax collectors, which were like the lowest of the lowest, sinners of sinners. They get it. The gospel clicks. They repent. They receive Jesus, and they are welcomed in. And the Pharisees and lawyers, that is experts of the law. Don't think lawyer as we think lawyers. Think experts of the law, experts of Scripture, those who know the biblical law through and through. Ironically, they're missing the boat. They refuse the message. They refuse repentance, and they're ironically out. Those who look on the outside like they're completely out repent and are welcomed in. Those who look on the outside that they're the experts. They refuse repentance, and they're ironically out. And we see that this gospel message has always been a message from, from day one that some receive and some reject. Some receive it, some reject it. We don't achieve our way into God's kingdom. We repent our way into God's kingdom. God doesn't come looking for those with the most uh, uh, astonishing and stunning spiritual resumes, saying, hey, you know what, you'd, you'd, you'd be great for the team that I'm assembling. How about, you can now make it in. God looks for the broken. He looks for the repentant. He looks for those who cast all that they have on the grace of Jesus Christ. We repent our way into God's kingdom. And that means the door's open for everybody. That means that is a grace that every single one of us can receive. Yet if we reject it, we are not in his kingdom. It's a sobering reality, isn't it? It's, it's an important reality. Don't miss the significance of this message. And Jesus comments on this and says in verse 31 and following, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? Who are they like? They're like children. And then goes on to describe fickle children, if I can summarize, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, some saying, we played the flute. The others say, you didn't, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by all her children. But what is he saying? What's going on? Children in the marketplace coming, eating, I don't understand. Jesus is saying, we people, we humanity, are fickle that when the gospel is presented to us, some reject and some receive. That in a way, Jesus is saying, no matter what I send your way, no matter what prophet I send your way like John, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, there will be some that reject. There will be some that don't respond. Yet, in that reality, there's a side door encouragement in there. It also means that some will. It also means that as the gospel of God's kingdom advances, as the good news goes out, some will. The, um, the sobering part, the exciting part, the challenging part, the encouraging part is we don't know how people are going to respond. We don't. We don't know. God doesn't call us to look into the future and wonder who's going to respond and then share the gospel. He just calls us to share he just calls us to, to demonstrate the gospel with our lives and explain it with our words and leave the results to him. And I hope that encourages some of you here today. 
Because I know many of you, many, many conversations uh, that I've had and, 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 and know that you have people on your heart and mind, maybe a child, maybe a sibling, maybe a cousin, an uncle, an aunt, who do not yet know Jesus, and man, that weighs on you. It's hard to watch a child take a prodigal path. It's hard to share the gospel over decades not knowing is anything happening in the heart of this person. It's hard uh, um, uh, wondering is this person going to respond. I, I, I think, I hope, I pray, encourage you. The weight of souls is a weight that God bears, not you. The weight and burden of someone's eternity and destiny is a weight that is better shouldered, best shouldered, only shouldered by God himself. That doesn't remove the burden, doesn't it? Because if when you love someone deeply, of course you think about them. Of course you shed tears over them. Of course you pray about them. To a degree, there is a weight to that, but not an eternal weight. Not an infinite weight. It's a weight that you and I can't bear. But it's a weight that God can bear. That if salvation is truly of the Lord, if it's all of him, all of his sheer grace, all of his pursuing of us, chasing after us, pouring out grace to us, that means he is the one that bears that weight. It relieves a measure of pressure, does it not? And it frees you up and encourages you to partner with him. That as you are seeking to live out the call that God has placed on your life in the ministry that God has given you, as you share the gospel, know that you are partnering with the God of creation. That you are co-laborers with the king. Did you know that? Did you know that God considers you a co-worker in this incredible work? That you link arms with God himself as you share the gospel with others? May that encourage you as you share. May it lift the burden as you share. And may it give you a profound sense of, of, of wonder and joy and delight when those who do receive come to the kingdom, one more soul added to eternity, one more family member welcomed in, one more person brought from death to life, one more person welcomed into the family, one more, one more person married into the bride of Christ. Don't miss Christ's significance. We miss it. We miss the train. Don't miss your significance. <laughs> if we miss that, we might be discouraged. We might think, ah, what am I going to contribute? God says, no, your contribution is important to me. And don't miss his message. If we miss the message, we miss the whole thing. So especially for those of you who are, who are still checking things out, maybe some of you also, you, uh, your parents are committed and if you're honest with yourself, you know, you're, you're kind of going along because you don't really have a choice, but you're still sorting out for yourself, am I, really, am I really two feet in to Jesus? Am I really, are all my eggs really in his basket? You've got to wrestle through that question. It's a question worth thinking through, not to leave you in a place of anxiety, but to leave you in a place of importance. It's a question that you need to answer. Now I would encourage you whether from this passage or other passages, whether through conversations with those who know and love Jesus, may you see, I pray that you would see, that the king of this kingdom is someone you don't want to miss. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, to every single one of us in desperate need of a kingdom, 
a kingdom where there is no more pain or brokenness or loss, where there is no more death, no more goodbyes, to a kingdom that we are designed to be walking in the garden again with you in paradise. Lord, our hearts, through all the glimpses of that kingdom, we we are seeing just a, a small glimmer, just a small shadow of the true and real thing. And through all the brokenness that we experience in this life, we know it points us to that kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would encourage each and every person in this place. May they see that that king has come, that that king is you. And Father, may that encourage the discouraged, motivate uh, those who are, are, are looking for a sense of motivation. And may that give us a sense of worship and awe and wonder that you have come for us, and not just to rec- rescue us, but to do an incredible work through us that this world uh, might look differently as a result of your fingerprints through your church in a world that desperately needs a king. May we be ambassadors for this king. May we be ambassadors for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.